That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, good morning. I'm Jackie Bode, and um, I'm going to read the scripture today, and it is Genesis 3. It's on page 2 of your bo- uh, Bibles in the pew, uh, verses 1 to 19, which can be found, like I say, on page 2 or 3. Okay. Now the, tru- the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. <clears throat> he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it in the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweet of your face you shall eat bread till you return to to the ground. For out of it you were taken." You are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jackie. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Community Church. Thanks for being here this morning. We continue on in our Sunday talking about what we love that we're doing. I love that we get to sit for these four weeks and talk about this and think about and understand that all work is sacred. 
So whether you are a student or someone who has a career or a stay-at-home mom or dad or retired, that work is sacred because it comes from God. There's no, in our vocation, in our work, there's no, vo- there, there's no distinction between secular and sacred, and everything is part of building his kingdom. So vocation carries a lot of meaning and value. What we do during our day is really, really important. And so as a faith community, as we get to talk about how Jesus really does care about our vocations, what we do during the day, and how he wants to encounter us as we do it. With vocation, we're starting to see that everything else in life and in our own individual stories and journeys, that vocation follows the same arc of, as Scripture. We have creation. Last week, Jimmy Dodd uh, told us, talked about how God created work. That work is good because God created it. It's part of his design, and it's meant to both add value and reflect the heart of God. And then, we, and then this week, we're going to talk about the fall. So Jackie just read that, that because of the fall of humanity, work is hard, it's been tainted by sin, and we'll then see redemption, how through the work of Jesus that all things will be redeemed and made right, even our work, even our vocations. And then we're going to see in a couple of weeks when we wrap up this series how work will be restored and how we as God's people can faithfully live this out. So this week, I get to be the bearer of some difficult news. Lucky me. Um, We're going to talk about how God made work good, but if he made it good, why is it so hard? Why is it that we struggle with work? Why can work feel monotonous, maybe even purposeless? And then do we have any hope in our vocations of there being something more than this? When I was in high school, there was a fruit orchard not too far from the house that I grew up in. And so one of my first jobs was working at this orchard. And during this job, sometimes I would pick fruit. A lot of times I would mow grass in between these fruit trees. Uh, I would work the cash register, basically did whatever the guy who owned the orchard needed me to do. I got paid $5 an hour, which I don't know if that was minimum wage at the time. Uh, He would pay me in cash, which I'm not sure is totally legal, Um, but whatever. I promise it wasn't a front for mob activity or anything like that. But one day I showed up for work and he asked, he told me, he didn't ask me, he told me that he needed me to take some lawn clippers that you would maybe trim some bushes with at home. He said, told me to take some lawn clippers and to go and trim and clean up a blackberry patch that, in his words, was starting to get overgrown. And uh, I needed to clear this out so it'd be easier for people to pick pick blackberries. And I'd been working there for just a couple of months. I had never really seen this blackberry patch. He told me where it was. It was kind of on the back end of the property. And so I go out there. I thought, sure, this will be no problem. I can knock this out in a couple of hours. I arrive at what I guess was the blackberry patch because I couldn't see any bushes, blackberry bushes. It was so overgrown with weeds vines, grass, and whatever else was growing in there. And this whole, this patch is probably about the size of this stage. So I walk up to this monstrosity, and I look in, and I could barely see the blackberry bushes through all this stuff. And I could just begin to feel the frustration just rising up within me. I get my clippers, I start cutting away, start pulling back all these weeds and and bushes and junk, and a little bit 
bit of a time. I just start cutting away, trying to careful not to control blackberry bushes. And as time goes on, I'm just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Like, I'm, I'm getting ticked at this point. It was hot. I'm getting scratched up by thorns from these bushes. I have thoughts of this as this is going to take me a month to finish. I'm only getting paid five bucks an hour. He's only giving me long clippers to do this when really what this, this whole thing needs is a match and some gasoline. And I'm just like getting more and more and more frustrated. I think we've all been there before. We've all have horror stories of jobs we've worked and the experiences we've had. We've all been students with teachers and classmates who've driven us crazy. We take care of homes and kids that aren't always the smoothest ride. Maybe we've worked jobs where there's interpersonal conflict or we've been overworked and underpaid and mistreated. Maybe in your workplace you've experienced an abuse of power or maybe you've been stabbed in the back by business partners and betrayed by them. I know that some of you have been put into a position where you've had to keep your job to lie to consumers and shareholders. Maybe a, a co-work, it's a promotion that you felt like maybe you deserved, but then, then you're battling this extreme feeling of jealousy. You could be here today and you're retired and you might feel purposeless and restless and all of this is really, really hard. It's really difficult to live thoughtfully and engage with our work well. And so I think we all ask the question of, why is work so hard? Why can't this be easier? So turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Genesis chapter 3, which Jackie just read for us. But take a look at Genesis chapter 3. Last week we looked at chapters 1 and 2, and Genesis is two, God gives Adam the task to take care of the garden of Eden. And it says, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. So even in his creation of humanity, God created humans to work. God created us to take care of something. Because God is a worker, and so if we're made in his image, it just makes sense that we would be made and have the desire to work too. But here in Genesis 3, the serpent, Satan, tempts Eve and says, did God really say that you can't eat of every tree in the garden? Basically what the serpent was saying is, is God trustworthy? Is he holding out on you? So Eve eats of the tree, and of course we know the story, and, and they eat of the tree, and Adam eats of it too. Then all of a sudden, everything that was good and perfect and intimate went to broken and the reality of, of being exposed, of the knowledge of being naked. And so because of sin and the fall of humanity, there are lasting consequences that affect our lives even today. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband." And he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face 
you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So because of the fall, even the process of reproduction and bringing human life into the world was going to be painful. Marriage was going to be hard and difficult with power dynamics in the relationship. There was going to be a lot of complexities to the husband and wife relationship. And in this moment, as Adam and Eve sinned, two blessings of marriage and having children are tainted by the fall. Then God says, he goes on to say that the work that he has gave in taking care of the garden was going to go from fulfilling and life-giving to strenuous and frustrating. And today we still live with the effects of the sin of our great-great-great-great-grandparents. Because life is hard. Relationships are challenging and vocation can feel impossible at times. And because of the fall, brokenness now permeates every area of life from nature to world governments, human relationships, even down to the breaking down of our bodies. We see the effects of sin and brokenness. Philosopher Al Walter says, The effects of sin touch all of creation. No created thing is in principle untouched by the corrosive effects of the fall. Whether we look at society stru- societal structures such as the state of family or cultural pursuits such as art or technology or bodily functions such as sexuality or eating or anything at within the wide scope of creation, we discover that the good handiwork of God has been drawn into the sphere of mutiny against God. So, of course, vocation is touched by brokenness and sin. The quote I gave you is is quoted by Tim Keller in this book, Every Good Endeavor. We've referenced this book a couple times the last few weeks as a resource for our faith community as we take a few weeks to think about vocation. This book is really helpful. Even as I was preparing for today, I read a good portion of it. And we would highly recommend that you pick up a copy and read it. It's very helpful. Uh, in the book, in this book, Keller gives four points about why vocation is hard. And so for, so for application, I want to give us these four points to just be helpful as we talk about vocation, work, and what we do during the day, why it can be hard. So the first point that Keller gives is work becomes fruitless. And this is hard because from the time we are probably preschoolers, we are told that we can be anything we want. And we can accomplish anything. And some of that may be true. But when we are told this for a large percentage of our lives, and then we find ourselves in a vocation that maybe we wouldn't choose, and that we have, that we have because of necessity, whether that be a job or parenting, being a caretaker, being a student, retired, whatever what we do, we can begin to feel fruitless And the question of what I am actually accomplishing enters our hearts and minds. We ask that question, what am I doing with myself? But because of the fall and brokenness, vocation often becomes fruitless and we can feel both fulfilled in our work and frustrated by our work. 
We see this in Genesis 3. God tells Adam that he will work the ground for the rest of his life. And then look again at verse 18. God says, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So the work and the vocation that God had given Adam in taking care of the garden was now going to be hard and painful because it was going to produce thorns and thistles. It was going to be fruitless no matter how hard he worked. There was going to be times where the care that the, of the ground that Adam was going to do, it was going to be fruitless. But in God's goodness, there was going to be times and moments where it was going to be fruitful as well because there was going to be food provided. So Tim Keller says that vocation can be both fruitful and frustrating, and that's hard to accept. Because if you are like me, you want things to be all one way or the other. Like, I, my preference in life is for things to be black and white. It would be almost be easier if our jobs and vocations were either just all the time fruitful or just all the time frustrating. And then we could just, if it's frustrating all the time, we could just muscle through it. But I wonder if God in his grace, he allows us to live in really complex spots to create a longing in us for something more. What if because work, vocation, and what we do during our day can be fruitless, what if God uses it to create a deeper desire for eternity and to be with him? Because ultimately, as believers and followers of Jesus, we are made for something more than this. Our hearts, the deepest longing of our hearts is for something more than this, than the fruitlessness of this world. And so second, work becomes pointless. Look back to verse 17 of Genesis 3. God says to Adam, curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Man, I can imagine that when Adam heard God say this, there had to have been a feeling of, now I have to work this ground. It's going to be hard. It's going to be fruitless at times. It might be fruitful at times. But the whole point of this work now is just to survive. Now, don't hear me wrong. Survival is obviously really important. But if your whole existence and purpose of what you're doing is to survive, then that can begin to feel really po pointless, especially for us in our Western culture as Americans. And that's how, we, how work can feel sometimes. Of I am working so hard, it never feels like I'm making any progress. Maybe we don't feel appreciated in our jobs. I'm just doing this so I can pay my bills, or I'm doing this so someone else can make a lot of money. Pointlessness can even be felt outside of a career. If you volunteer somewhere, I love in, our, in our, our church body, I love that we have many of you volunteer during your week, and you may really enjoy it, but I wonder if sometimes you could, you could wonder if, am I really making a difference in what I'm doing? Sometimes, to be honest, parenting can seem like we're just trying to get to bedtime. Many people that are retired can feel like their day-to-day -day lives are the same every day and they're not accomplishing much and restlessness can begin to set in. And this reality of work at times being pointless is another reminder of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. Work went from purposeful and filled with intimacy of God to just trying to make it. And making it became really hard and difficult. 
And so then third, work becomes selfish. Keller says in this book, Every Good Endeavor, that one of the reasons work is both fruitless and pointless is the powerful inclination of the human heart to make work and its intended benefits the main basis of one's meaning and identity. And isn't that so true? That our whole identities and self-worth can be contained in what we do. And that's part of the lie that the serpent says in the garden. He says that you should be autonomous. I should be my own person. And all of that sounds really powerful, but what happens is that autonomy, that independence, it turns in on itself and it develops into selfishness. So what starts as I'm independent, I can take care of myself, turns into I don't need God to tell me what to do. I can make my own choices. And that self-focus actually develops into selfishness. So again, whether that's our careers, our parenting, families, ministries that we are involved in, volunteer work, and so much more, all of these are good things. But what we do is we have this tendency to build our identity on these things, to draw more meaning out of them than what God intended. Think about it in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates work to be joyful, taking care of what he had created. But then by Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, vocation is cursed by sin. Then if we had time, we could skip ahead to Genesis 4, where we see the offspring of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they're working. And what does Cain do? He uses work to gain power and attempt to gain favor with God. Then if we were to fast forward to Genesis 11, we see the famous account of the building of the Tower of Babel, where we see people working. They're making bricks to build a city and a tower that they said would reach the heavens. Why did they do this? Why did they want to build a tower to reach the heavens? Well, it says in verse 4 of Genesis 11, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What were they doing, what were they doing with their work? And what do we often do our work for? See, when we overlay their story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, when we overlay their story with our story, we see just like the people at the Tower of Babel, we have this tendency in our human and sinful nature to use work to maximize power, our influence, reputation, and our autonomy. And this this selfishness may give us some temporary satisfaction. We may temporarily be satisfied with the power we can gain and the influence of people we have or our reputation. We may get a little bit of satisfaction, but this selfishness, what it ends up doing is it hurts people. And eventually will just leave us feeling empty. What's so fascinating about work and vocation and what we do during our day is it reveals so much about our hearts in a really unique way and almost like nothing else what vocation does is it exposes some of our most intimate desires and longings work exposes both good and bad desires some of those desires that come in our hearts aren't bad 
But what vocation does is it unfolds the layers of our heart that without vocation we probably would never discover. And then what this does is it does allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and to change our desires and our longings and to remove that selfishness that is in our hearts. And then finally, work reveals our idols. It shines light on some of our biggest sin issues. Martin Luther defined an idol as looking to some created thing to give, to give us only what God can give us. A prim- primary place that we do this is that the place where we spend most of our time is in vocation and work. What vocation and work does is it exposes the idols we have in our hearts. Vocation reveals idols of comfort and pleasure. These idols can make it impossible for us to work as hard as necessary. Maybe we have the temptation just to loaf through our daily duties, just to do enough to get by. Or it can reveal that we use vacation as a vocation, not vacation, vocation as a tool to reach a certain level of comfort and pleasure. And if we're honest as Americans, the American dream is built on that. To work so that we can experience comfort and pleasure. Work can reveal an idol of power and approval. We can use it to amass a feeling of power and influence that brings us approval. Vocation, what it does is it reveals at times an unhealthy level of a need for control. And this need for control, it can show, it can begin to show itself and show its shadow side in intense worry, a lack of trust, and then it can lead all the way to micromanagement. Then God can use vocation to reveal an idol of significance. We often use what we do as a means of feeling important, of finding meaning in our lives in ways that God never intended. Because in our education and careers and parenting, ministering to people, volunteer, even in our retirement, we can find ways to use work and vocation to find, to feel and find significance in our lives by thinking, people need me. It's easy to even feel that as a parent, is these kids need me. I'm known because of what I do. Or people come to me for advice. And we might, again, find some temporary significance and meaning for our lives and what we do. But ultimately, you and I, if we do this, we're just going to be left filled empty, left feeling empty. So we have to ask the question, what is it in our lives? What is it in our day-to-day lives that might just even feel incredibly small? What is it in our lives that we are using to find significance. We have to ask, how are we looking to work for significance? Because when we look to work and what we do during our day to give us significance, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up to fail. Because when we look to work to give us what only God can give, it will only fail. It will cave in on itself because actually it doesn't have the power to give us true significance. What you and I do during the day with our work and vocation, it doesn't have the power to give us true significance. It can't. 
Only God can, can, can provide that. So when we do this, what we're asking vocation to do is something that it wasn't created to do. It just can't do it. So how are we using vocation to give us significance? Again, in this book, Keller writes, Grief and pain so great that he cannot rest. This is the experience of the person whose soul is resting wholly on the circumstances of their work. And I know this doesn't sound very helpful. And I've wrestled with, man, this is really negative. This sounds just really sad and depressing. But I do want to leave us with some encouragement. Because here in Genesis 3, even in the middle of this dark, sad situation where sin enters into the world and the consequences of sin come with it with marriage power dynamics and childbearing and thorns and thistles, God promises hope. He says that there will be one who will come and fix this. One who will come and save and rescue people from their sin. There will be one who will come and make all things broken and wrong and he will redeem it. Which is why we need Jesus. We need Jesus because of his work. Instead of finding comfort and pleasure in our work, he gives our souls comfort. He brings us pleasure that can only come from a relationship with him. Instead of trying to gain power and approval in our work, Jesus has already given us his approval and right standing before God through his work on the cross. Jesus offers something better than trying to find control through our vocations. What Jesus gives us is rest and peace and he's proven time after time that we can trust him with our lives. And instead of trying to find significance in what we do, Jesus has already found you and I significant. He has found us so significant because he has provided us redemption and adoption into his family. And then we join him in his work of building his kingdom. And we join him as fellow co-heirs to his kingdom which is why we take communion every week. Because we need Jesus. We need Jesus to step into the fruitlessness. We need Jesus to step into and show up in the pointlessness of our work. We need Jesus to take away our, our selfishness in our work, not just in our work, but in our entire lives. So as you come here in just a minute, you're going to tear off a piece of bread and you're going to take that bread and you're going to dip it in a cup of juice and then you're going to hear a server say, this is the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for your life, reminding us what Jesus has done through his work on, on the cross, reminding us that we need him. There's also a gluten-free option over here. There's a self-serve option in a package if you prefer. And as we take of this meal, while we stand in line and we sit in our seats, let's take those, those precious few minutes to think and to pray and ask Jesus to transform us in our lives and in our work. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you. 
Jesus, we have because of our sinful nature, we have this propensity to turn work and vocation and what we do during the day. We have this tendency to make it into something that, God, you never intended it for. So I pray you would forgive us. Pray you would change us, transform us. We need you, Holy Spirit, to to come and to change us and remove the, the selfishness and the identity issues we have with our work. Jesus, I pray that even as we come and we take of this meal and we remember what you did for us, I pray that you would stamp on our hearts that you are enough, that you are good, and that we have been found significant in your eyes. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Come when you're ready.